Good morning. It is good to be with all of you today. I'd like to welcome all the visitors that we have in the audience this morning. We are glad that you are here with us. We just want to say welcome. The past three weeks for me and Bailey have been a lot. There's been a lot of changes in our lives. We, uh, if you don't know, we've, uh, we've got a three-week-old baby now. She is awesome, Sunday Monroe Fisher. But the last three weeks have been a whirlwind. And uh, y'all say the, the first two weeks were great. It was magical. I was on paternity leave. I didn't have to go into the office. It was just me, Bailey, and that baby. And then this past week, I had to go back to work. It's pretty tiring. So I was balancing work, balancing the baby, and balancing putting this sermon together. So it has been a long week. But we are so glad to be with you today. Glad that we, all of you are here this morning. I do, real quick, just want to thank everyone who has been assistance to me and Bailey, brought us food, done things for us, watched the baby. Y'all are awesome. And the food was great. The dessert was awesome. A lot of dessert. So I just want to say thanks to everyone uh, for your help. I was talking with Bailey about a joke that I could tell in my uh, sermon this morning going to say, you know, we've got a three-week-old baby. We're pretty good at this now. So this morning, we're going to talk about godly parenting. No, that's not what we're going to talk about today. But today, I want to talk to you about wearing the mask, maskless living. You know, when I was younger, back in my college years out at Texas Tech University, I got the opportunity to try out to be the university mascot, Raider Red. And many of you have probably heard this a million times, so I'm sorry for telling this story again, but that is actually a picture of me there on the football field, and it was a great opportunity. My senior year, um, I was a part of a spirit organization called Saddle Tramps. It sounds pretty weird, but if you want to try out to be the mascot, you've got to be in Saddle Tramps, and so I went out and tried out. Really, I just wanted to put the suit on. I didn't really think I would make it, Um, and I made it. I got chosen. And I remember talking with the cheer coach, and by the way, I've got a running joke with, my, with the young people that I was technically a collegiate athlete because I was on the cheer team. But I talked to the cheer coach afterwards and I said, Stephanie, why did you choose me? I don't get it. Why, why out of all the people who tried out, why me? And she said, well, Zach, when you put that suit on, when you put that mask on, you became Raider Red. You weren't Zach anymore. It was Raider Red in that, in that suit. And I'll tell you, the coolest part about being the mascot was that when I put that mask on, I became a different person. I could do whatever, be whoever, and it felt good. But you see, the mask canceled out whatever was going on underneath. Now, I remember on a few occasions, I would break character and talk to people while I was in the costume. Because as Raider Red, you're constantly doing photo ops, so constantly just taking selfies with people. And there were a few times when I'm taking a selfie with someone, I would talk, hey, how you doing? And it would weird people out because they couldn't get past that mask. They'd, they'd say, wow, there's a person in there. Oh, yeah. In a similar way, in ancient Greek times, in the theater, people wore masks. Actors wore a comedic mask if they had funny lines. They wore a tragic frowning mask if they had sad lines. The Greeks in their theater had a Greek term for the word actor. The word was hypocrites, a hypocrite. It simply means an actor, someone who wears a mask. We know the word to mean a fake or a phony. 
someone who presents themselves to be one way, but deep down, they're really someone else. And I would venture to say that no one here today likes hypocrites. In fact, I think hypocrisy is one of the big problems that the world has with Christian Christian churches today. Oh, you guys are just a bunch of hypocrites. You say one thing, but you live your life in a completely different way. Are we guilty of that here this morning? My purpose today is to make us feel uncomfortable with wearing the mask. To aim for maskless living. That's our goal this morning. To be honest about who we are and what God has done in saving us from our sinful condition. And in turn, be much more gracious with other people around us when they falter and they fail. And here's why this subject is so important today. According to the Barnum Research Group, surveying millennials in America, they found that millennials are about the age of 20 to you know, early 30s. What they found is that six out of every 10 millennials who were raised in the church no longer attend. And according to their survey, the number one reason, 66% of millennials said the reason they dropped out of church is because American churchgoers are hypocrites. They're hypocritical. At least that's what the world says about us here today. At least that's what Jesus said about the religious people of his day. Are we like the Pharisees? Matthew chapter 23 is where we're going to be taking our reading from this morning. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. And let me just give you some background. This is a time when Jesus confronts the religious elite of Israel. And it's not the first time. You see, just two chapters earlier, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. And this is known as the triumphal entry. And Jesus is returning to Jerusalem with his disciples to celebrate the feast of Passover. This is the final week of his life, Passion Week. And this is right prior uh, to his crucifixion. And as Jesus rides in on that donkey, the people spread their cloaks and tree branches on the ground as Jesus rode in. And they yelled, Hosanna! To the Son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus then goes into the temple. And he overturns the tables of the money changers. And he drives people out of the temple. And then what happens in chapter 23, which we're going to read through this morning, is a direct response to what happens in the previous chapter, chapter 22. You see, Jesus had several run-ins with the religious elite. The scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians... They were constantly harassing Jesus, challenging Jesus, maligning him, trying to discredit him. And now Jesus has had enough. And he begins to pull their mask off. Quite frankly, the same sinful heart that plagued those Jewish religious leaders oftentimes is beating strongly in the religious world today. And each of us should take time and effort to examine ourselves and ask ourselves, am I being part of the problem? Does my influence reflect Christ, or am I a hypocrite? Matthew chapter 23. We're going to read the first 12 verses here. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they they lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, 
for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace and being called rabbi by others but you are not to be called rabbi for you have one teacher and you are all brothers and call no man your father on earth for you have one father who is in heaven neither be called instructors for you have one instructor the Christ The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. At the beginning of this chapter, it's very clear that Jesus is speaking to the crowd and his disciples. This is the crowd that has now come out of the temple. They're following Jesus, and he's teaching them. And the first thing he tells them is that those scribes and Pharisees, they sit on Moses' seat. Now what does that mean? Well, in every Jewish synagogue, there was a seat at the front of the synagogue upon which the authoritative teacher would sit and teach the Word of God. And because Moses was inspired to write the first five books of the Bible, we call it the Pentateuch or the Torah, that seat was referred to as Moses' seat because the one sitting there was expounding on the Word of God, on the Mosaical Law. So it's called Moses' seat. And Jesus is saying, you know those authoritative teachers who sit on Moses' seat? They're not practicing what they preach. They're teaching Scripture, but they're not actually putting it all into practice, as they should. Jesus is saying the Word of God is important, and they are teaching the Scriptures, so do what they're saying, but don't live like they're living. By the way, I've taken some liberties here, but I'm trying to classify each one of these categories as certain types of sin. And so this first sin that we're going to cover this morning is the sin of saying, but not obeying. And this is important for us to understand. Jesus is in effect saying, do not let the word of God lose its authority to you because of the bad examples of the people who might be teaching it. This is true today. God's Word is wisdom and truth, and its validity cannot be questioned on the basis of who presents the message. And unfortunately, the reality is that men will fail you. Christian leaders and our brothers and sisters, we we disappoint each other. But the unchanging truth of God's eternal Word should never be diminished because of people. The lesson here is this. Human leaders are fallible people. And they may fail you, but God never will. And because of that, don't you dare take your eyes off God and put them on a man. Next, you see, what these Pharisees were doing was placing burdens on people that were crushing them, all the while being unwilling to do anything themselves. And this second sin is the sin of burdening people with man-made rules. Have you ever seen this happen in the religious world today? You know, I know Brother Tim a while back told me about a church who required their members to submit their tax IDs so that the church could make sure that everyone was giving enough, tithing, so to speak. And they're making that a requirement and placing that on their members. But did you know that there are religious groups out there today, like the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses, who put requirements on their people to go out and knock doors every week for a certain amount of hours? And if you don't, well, maybe... You're not one of God's elect. Maybe you're not worthy of heaven. Maybe you're not a Christian after all. We need to compare things like that with what Jesus says. Come unto me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
Please remember, we are not saved by our good works. We are saved by grace through faith. Next, Jesus says that they do all their deeds to be seen by others. And this honestly is my greatest fear for myself while we are going through this study. Do I do things just to be seen by others? I want you to think about that mask again for a moment. That mask that we might put on in the parking lot before we come into the church building. Are we the same person out in the world that we are here this morning? Or do we just put on that mask outside and so that we can be seen in a good light by other people? Better yet, and I'm, I'm speaking directly to the men here, if you participate in the services, if you preside over the communion table, if you say a prayer, if you get up and lead songs or preach, are you doing it for the glory of men? For the glory of self? Or are you doing it for the glory of God? Number three, this is the sin of living to impress others. You see, what the Pharisees would do is that they had these things called uh, phylacteries, okay, and they were they were and they had tassels, okay. And a phylactery is a little box that they would hang on their head with the words of the law in it, like a little rolled up piece of scripture that they would place in this box. And they would make their phylacteries broad and wide, meaning they wanted to look extra spiritual. I've got more scripture in my little box than you do. Same with the length of their tassels, how long those tassels were. How much more righteous I must be than all of you, so I'm going to make my tassels very, very long, much longer than yours. Isn't that ridiculous? And then finally in this section, Jesus brings up the sin of loving title and position. See, these religious leaders, they loved the praise of men. And part of that was loving their titles. Oh, Rabbi! Rabbi, your message this morning was so good. Oh, Rabbi, will you come sit next to us, please? We all get this. We all probably know people in our lives who are like this, people who love their titles. Boy, if I can just get that, that word executive into my title, I'd feel a lot better about myself. We love recognition. But Jesus says you've got to really war against that in your lives. Be careful with titles. Don't go around calling people Rabbi. It's a way of saying teacher. Did you notice that he says, don't call anybody father? Now he's not talking about moms and dads. He's talking about titles that are given in a religious setting. It's kind of interesting in light of the Roman Catholic Church. Don't call anybody in a religious context father. Why? Well, it puffs them up. And yes, we do have titles in the body of Christ. Elders, deacons, and evangelists. Those are all biblical titles that we find in the New Testament. And there's nothing wrong with those titles, but when we go around and say, Teacher, oh pastor, that message this morning, we're just exalting people in a way that's not biblical and doesn't do anyone favors. And then finally, Jesus summarizes this whole section with verse 12. He says, Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Folks, if we exalt ourselves over other people, God is going to humble us. But if we humble ourselves, then He will exalt us. Let's take heed of those words. Jesus now goes into the next section of His speech, of His rebuke. And this is what people call the seven woes. This is where He turns the corner and begins speaking directly to the Pharisees here. 
Matthew chapter 23, starting in the 13th verse, and we're going to read through verse 36. Jesus says, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you travel across sea and land and make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, If anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools. For which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, If anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men. For which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead men's, dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would have not taken part with them in the shedding shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some, of you, some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Woe. Woe to you. The seven woes. Jesus really hits them right between the eyes here. This word for woe in the Greek is to describe grief, like woe is me. It's also used to describe impending judgment and denunciation. The first thing that Jesus brings up here is the sin of hindering others from coming to Christ. He says, hypocrites. Jesus says that the Pharisees have been slamming the door of the kingdom of God in people's faces. They've been blocking people from getting access to Jesus by their denial of Him. You know, we do this by hindering folks from coming to Christ. 
And we can do this in a couple of different ways. One way is legalism. Placing enormous rules and regulations on people, telling them they ha- they'll never be good enough. You can't live up to that. Secondly, simply put, we can do this by being a stumbling block for people. We have to be careful as believers on how we live and how we react to people. If I asked you right now to raise your hand, if you knew someone who is staying away from church because they've been hurt by somebody in church, I'm willing to bet everybody would probably raise their hand. I tell you folks, there was a time in my life many years ago where I really got away from the Lord. I was out away from home doing things that I shouldn't have been doing. And I remember this one time while I was selling direct TV in a Sam's Club. I hadn't been to church in a very long time and I see this little old lady from the church walk into that Sam's Club and she sees me and she makes a beeline to me. And I, I, guys, I really don't remember what exactly she said, but it was something along the lines of, you haven't been at church in a while. And whatever it was that she said, it, it wasn't so much about what she said, it was about how she said it. And I, I just, it became a stumbling block in my spiritual walk. And, and, and if I'm being honest with you folks, and if we're being honest with each other, it became an excuse for me to use to not go to church. And people have enough excuses already. Let's not be a cause of another excuse for someone not to be here. we got to be careful how we talk to people and how we act around people. We need to remind each other that there is an open-door policy that God has as it relates to salvation. And He does not want you or I limiting that at all in any way to any person. Woe number two. This is the sin of promoting legalism and ungodly behavior. At this time in history, the Jews would travel around making proselytes all over. They were doing mission work, and mission work is a good thing. We need to do more mission work. But what Jesus is saying is that you weren't converting them to become true God followers. You were converting them to become zealots. They wanted to become Pharisees. They were concerned about the Pharisaical rules and climbing the ladder, and many refer to this as legalism. You have to do all these extra things, and you have to do it perfectly to a T, all these rules and regulations, while also living hypocritically in the world. And what you have done is turn them into a worse Pharisee than you were in the first place. Do we just honor God with our lips like the Pharisees, but our hearts are far from Him? Now Jesus in verse 16, calls them blind guides, blind fools. Why? Well, because they are guilty of the sin of perverting what is truly valuable. And without getting too deep into this one, basically Jesus is telling them, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Okay? You know, when we make a promise, don't think that you have to punctuate that promise by swearing an oath. I swear on my mother. Have you, have you ever heard someone do that before? I swear to cross my heart and hope to die. You see, the religious leaders would take these oaths in such a way so that they could weasel out of the oath later on with a loophole. It's like small children crossing their fingers behind their back. 
The bottom line for us is this. Do what you say you're going to do. As Christians, we shouldn't have to tack on anything to our words to make a promise more sure. Okay? Do what, we're, what we say we're going to do. And now Jesus begins to address the Pharisees in regard to their legalism again. Sin, this is the sin of becoming lost in legalistic detail while ignoring the heart of God's Word. And this is specifically in regards to tithing. And the Pharisees, boy, they were tithers. Okay? They would tithe 10% of everything they had, even down to the herbs in their pantry, even down to the littlest things. Can you imagine? Mint, dill, cumin. Let's take 10% of this herb and set it aside to give to the Lord. Jesus is saying, don't be so concerned about your spices. You should be concerned about justice and mercy, not counting out your bay leaves. And then He paints this beautiful picture for us in this analogy. He tells them that, while you're so busy straining out a gnat, they were actually swallowing a camel. And what he means by that is, and you have to remember the mosaical law here, there were certain animals and things that if you ingested it, you would be considered unclean. Okay? And so insects, gnats, are part of that unclean category. And oftentimes... You would get a gnat in your water, get a gnat in your wine. And so what they would do in order to remove the gnat is they would place a cloth over whatever they're about to pour to filter out the unclean insect. Okay. And so this made the Pharisees and the Jews appear very righteous, very holy. Oh, I don't want anything unclean or impure to enter my life. Jesus says, you guys take all the time to strain out a gnat, and all the while you're, you're swallowing that dirty old nasty camel sitting in the corner. You're going through all this trouble for an audience, and yet you've allowed such things to enter your heart that would defile you completely. Point number nine, Jesus now brings up the sin of making one's righteousness merely an external pursuit. We in the Christian church are guilty as charged, folks. We have taken all kinds of external things and made them the focal point. If God is going to do a work in someone's life, it has to start on the inside. It has to start on the heart level and go out. And I think sometimes we can be so concerned with tradition and rituals and having everything so precise and crossed the right way and dotted the right way. And don't get me wrong, doctrinal precision is of extreme importance. We have to do the things that are laid out in the Bible for us. But while we're doing all the right things, sometimes we lose interest in the things that matter most. The weightier matters of the law. Justice and mercy and faithfulness. I've heard Ethan call this Christianity without Christ. We do this all the time when we're defending doctrines of the faith. You know, that's so good that you spoke the truth about homosexuality. That's so good that you defended the doctrine of baptism, but did you do it in love? We can be jerks. We can be mean-spirited, prideful, argumentative people. People that you wouldn't even want to have over for dinner or go out to see a movie with. What, a, what about the externals that we sometimes place on people? If we say to people, well, you know what? Christians don't wear their hair like that. Christians don't do that. Christians don't get a tattoo. And we're focused on all these external things. 
what we're doing is we're putting the law on people. Instead, what we've got to do is bring people to the understanding that the kingdom of God begins in here. And it grows outward. And don't worry about how somebody looks on the outside. That stuff doesn't matter. It's not an issue. We need to focus on the heart and not the externals. Woe number six. Jesus calls the Pharisees whitewashed tombs. And this is the sin of faking spirituality while corrupting others. You have to understand that under the law of Moses, touching a dead body would defile you. And if you had to touch a dead body, then there was this period of uncleanness that a person would go through before they could enter back into the religious community. And so the Jews understood that this was a picture of becoming unclean. It was a picture of corruption. And the decay process that was involved in the body is a picture of the process of sin and its decaying, corrupting influence on our lives. So God said, don't touch that dead body. Well, notice what Jesus says to them. He says, you guys are like whitewashed graves. You look really pretty on the outside, but you open the lid and you find that there is corruption and decomposition. It's stinky, it's smelly and rotten. Well, do you know what the point of this whole thing is? It's the corrupting influence that we sometimes become on other people. It's not just that they are corrupted on the inside, it's that those whom they touch are also corrupted. I might appear to be spiritual and walking with God, but at the same time, I'm actually corrupting people. We have to ask ourselves, am I being a good influence on people, or am I leading them down a path of destruction? You know, when I'm outside of church, and I'm hanging out with my friends, how am I acting? What's the lifestyle that I'm perpetuating? What does my social media pages look like? Am I acting like a fool? Taking part in the flesh? Showing off to the world? Are we whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones? And I think especially for our young people, this is something we have to be in particularly careful about. And here's what I mean. I think that many of us would recognize that we probably all made some poor decisions in our youth at some point in our lives. The words we may have used, the parties that we went to, the friends that we spent our time with, the people who we might have dated. And all of us can probably recognize those times in our youth that we didn't represent the body of Christ particularly well. Don't be guilty of this. Don't give the world another reason to point the finger and say, you hypocrite. Finally, we reach the seventh woe. This is the sin of self-righteous superiority. Jesus compares them to the previous generations that had spilled the blood of the prophets. The religious leaders were basically saying, well, if I had lived back then in the days of our forefathers, we certainly wouldn't have done that. We wouldn't have persecuted the prophets. No, we are God's chosen people. I'm a Pharisee. But you know what? Right then and there, they were guilty of doing just that. Because later that same week, those religious elite, they would take Jesus, beat Him, nail Him to a cross, and murder the Son of God. Oh, we would never do that. Do you know that I think... I think the smartest thing to say to someone when you are seeing sin in their lives is to say, yeah, I see how you can do that. 
You know, it doesn't do anybody any favors to have someone confess a sin in front of you and for you to go, I mean, what does that say to people? That just says that you are righteously superior to them. But instead, for you to look at them and say, yeah, you know what? I've got one of those hearts too. I've got one of those corrupted, sinful nature hearts too. So how does Jesus tie all this up? Verse 33. He ties it all up by calling them snakes. Brood of vipers. But you know, Jesus goes on and He tells them that uh, what God is, that God is not done with them. He says, I'm going to send more prophets. I'm going to send more wise men. I'm going to send more teachers. That sounds like the book of Acts, doesn't it? Prophetic words by Jesus. And we understand from first century history in the Bible that God did just that in response to Jerusalem and the Jewish people who repeatedly rejected and persecuted the early church. But the fact is, God's not done And because of heroes of the faith and believers willing to go through all kinds of persecution, the spread of the gospel exploded all over the world. You see, even though they were rejecting Jesus, the Pharisees, and they weren't taking responsibility for their actions, God wasn't done with them. And finally, to close out the chapter, verse 37 through 39, Jesus says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem! The city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So after Jesus delivers this stinging rebuke to the religious leaders of the day, he looks over Jerusalem. He's not delighted in judgment. In fact, he weeps over the city. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. The heart of God himself is lamenting as he looks at the sin of the people. That's what God does when he looks at our sin too. It breaks his heart. But just like Jerusalem, he's not done with us either. And if you aren't a member of the body of Christ this morning... If you haven't been baptized in Jesus' blood, then I want you to know God wants to have a relationship with you. He loves you. And regardless of the mistakes that you've made, regardless of the things in your past, that door to Jesus is still wide open. In conclusion, are we pretenders this morning? You know, when we pretend, when we wear the mask of hypocrisy, Jesus sees right through it. So how does that impact you as a follower of Jesus to know that when you pray, God doesn't want you to be concerned about what the person next to you is thinking. And when you give, He doesn't want that giving to be directed towards... He he wants that giving to be directed towards Him as a moment of intimate obedience. Not for a preacher, not for a church building, not for the person sitting in the pew next to you. When we do benevolent work, when you help the needy, is that for the praise of others? What about your Facebook page? When you post on social media, are you doing it for the attention of others so that you'll get followers and clout? Is what you're posting modest? Is it loving? What about worship? 
I know a lot of the time I am focused on musical precision rather than spiritual precision. I get caught up in the do-re-mis, and instead of praising God for the awesome God that He is, sometimes we're focused on straining out a gnat, but we're we're swallowing camels. When we come together as a body, are we focused on the things that God is most concerned about? Because remember, Jesus came into contact with people who looked so religious. They had a profession of commitment to God's Word. They had built up all these externals to make it look so spiritual. It looked so religious. They had the smells, the bells, the whistles, the dress, the religious worship. But they were full of dead men's bones, rotting, stinking corpses. Let that edge cut you this morning. Now you might say, Zach, so what? What's the point of all this? And please don't read this sermon this morning as a dissertation on what was wrong with the first century Judaism. This is religious people in general. We corrupt God's Word. We corrupt the church. We place burdens on people that crush them. This is what man-made religion does. And that's not to say that all tradition is bad. No, don't hear that this morning. And it's not to say that doctrine is bad. It's not to say that holding an office in church, having a title in church is bad. It is to say that if there is no life and true obedience underneath all of that that is driving it, it's meaningless. We're liars. Sometimes we're fools. Sometimes we're blind guides and hypocrites. And woe to us. This morning I would encourage you to take off that mask. Don't be a pretender. We should be the same person here this morning that we were on Saturday night. Allow the gospel to transform your life. Allow Jesus to take control and serve Him. It should be our hope and prayer that God would challenge us so that we glorify Him through true obedience and worship and not merely the externals, but that He would give us all the strength to hate hypocrisy and to live a life that looks so holy while your heart is far from Him. Where is your heart this morning? The lesson is yours today, and I appreciate your kind attention. If there is any of us who have not been baptized in the waters of Christ's blood, we can help you in that this morning. Or maybe you're a religious person. Maybe you're a Christian already, but you feel like you've been living a life of hypocrisy. We would love to pray with you this morning. We'd love to study with anyone who would like to study. If there be one of either case, we ask that you come to the front, take a seat on this front pew as we stand and as we sing. Power you washed in the blood.